The Boys of Tech with Edwin Herman and Friends. Welcome to the Boys of Tech, New Zealand's longest running tech podcast. This is episode 206 for Monday the 25th of March 2013. My name is Edwin Herman and this week we're going to kick off with a story about a Canadian man by the name of Taylor Moore who is selling his house for Bitcoin virtual currency. So he doesn't want Canadian dollars. He wants the equivalent in Bitcoin. And if this goes ahead, uh, this is believed to be the first time a house has been sold for Bitcoin currency. Now, I don't know about you, but I, you know, I've, I've never gotten into the, the whole Bitcoin thing. I don't know why, but I'm highly suspicious of it. That's not to say it's dodgy or anything, but perhaps I'm a little uh, risk averse, a little bit uh, conservative in, in that respect. It just seems so fickle, you know, that one day it could, I mean, you know, all currency, this is the thing, I mean, all currencies these days, all floating currencies anyway, are are really not backed by anything. And it's just the perception, if you like, of their value, you know, the willingness by someone else to exchange that currency for goods or services that gives money its value. And, you know, to be honest, I mean, Bitcoin and Ethereum should, should be the same as well, you know. I mean, it's no different in, in that respect. But, uh, you know, something tells me that it's uh, more prone to, you know, to fluctuations than, uh, you know, than a physical currency. Currently, uh, one Bitcoin is, I think, trading for around about 37 British pounds, which is about 44 euro. I actually don't know what, how, how that's been tracking, actually, to be honest. I don't know whether that's uh, been climbing or, or, or going down. I just haven't been following it at all. But uh, it's kind of an interesting concept because it, and this is the thing that the, the one of the big differences between real currencies is, uh, apart from the fact that, <laughs> that it's virtual, is that bitcoins are not issued by a central bank or a centralized authority. Instead, people generate or, if you like, mine bitcoins by participating in a particular network, for example, by solving a complicated mathematical problem using their computer. And you know, you can exchange Bitcoin for real money and vice versa. Uh, in fact, WikiLeaks, I think, are accepting donations in Bitcoin. Uh, so you, so there's more and more places that accept Bitcoin as well. And in fact, I think there's a, you can buy pizza now. Where was that? I, I, I remember uh, somewhere where you can buy pizza. Oh, yeah, it's not a... It's not actually a pizza company accepting Bitcoin, but it's it's a, a sort of an entrepreneurial service set up by a couple of programmers. Uh, what they do is you can, I think, order pizza through their service, but what they really do is they accept the Bitcoin currency. They, if you like, convert that to real money. They pay the, they're kind of the middlemen, right? They pay the pizza company 
in real currency, the police, the pizza gets delivered, and uh, and there you go. And and that these guys, you know, clip the ticket along the way. I just reading before that it can actually take up to eighty minutes for a pizza to be delivered because, you know, there's uh, you know, the the you know, have got to do the the conversion and all, and and of course these are middlemen, so eighty minutes for a pizza. You you perhaps you got to start ordering when you're not really that hungry. Gosh, if I had to wait, you know, eighty minutes for a pizza, I'd. I mean, is that really worth the ability to pay in Bitcoin? I don't know. Anyway, so back to this guy, Taylor Moore. He's selling his, uh, it's a two-bedroom bungalow in Alberta. And he's asking for about 400,000 Canadian dollars, which is about 300,000 euro for this, uh, well, the equivalent you know, in Bitcoin is is what he's asking for. His family apparently were shocked. It came as a surprise to them. And he didn't give a lot of detail as to why, but he did say, and I quote, I have a couple of projects that I, I want to get started, and they will take a lot of Bitcoins. And that's all he was saying about that. So, I don't know. Watch this space. Oh, Google Reader. Well, you know, it's Google announced it's going to be closing the, the news RSS aggregator service. And it's given two reasons for this. The first of which is that usage of Google Reader has declined. The other reason is that as a company, Google have decided to pour all of their energy into fewer products. So they're, they're basically trimming their product line, which is kind of what well, it's what a lot of companies do when they find that they, they've diversified too much and spread too, too thinly. I mean, I think one of the biggest examples of that was Apple back in the, was it late 90s, I think? Uh, you know, they, they cut a whole heap of product lines out and concentrated on a few things and did them well. Anyway, so what's happened now, of course, is that there's a, there's a number of petitions, actually, but one particular petition has hit 100,000 signatures, which really, you know, is, is, is actually not a lot. I mean, okay, it's not insignificant, but it's not a lot. If you think about it, I mean, I don't know. I, in fact, I don't even know how many are using Google Reader right now. I haven't got the figures in front of me. But anyway, Google have said it's, uh, you know, it's de- decreasing in popularity. And because they want to focus on a few core products, then that is one of the ones to cull. And away it goes. This petition ain't going to do nothing, I'm, I'm afraid. That's, that's what I think. I mean, yeah, it's good that people can have their say and get a petition going, but it's going to have no difference. Molly Wood uh, actually wrote that, you know, she was surprised that they're shutting down Google Reader. She says, how hard is Google Reader to maintain compared to moon trips and autonomous cars? Well, yeah, okay, fair point, Molly. But, uh, you know, the thing is, if if they're going to cut down their product lines, you know, something's going to give. And yeah, okay, Google Reader probably isn't that ex- uh, that costly to run, but uh, it's still a sinking cost of, of whatever the cost is. And if you're going to streamline, well, you know, you gotta you gotta pick your pick winners, right? So I guess you know there's a lot of there are a lot of people who are a bit ho hum about this. And look, I'll be honest, I'm one of them. I'm yeah, you know, I'm not a Google Reader user, never was. And you know, for me, it's like okay, whatever, you know. But a lot of diehard Google Reader fans are not happy about this. And of course, these are the ones that would have signed up to this uh, petition. Now, Samsung, you know, it's interesting because Apple gets a lot of flack for this and. It's interesting to read now that, you know, Apple's not alone. Samsung is just as guilty. And that is taking too long to release fixes for critical flaws. 
And really, there's n- not really much of an excuse for, for the length of time it, uh, it's taking these companies. So, you know, uh, Samsung is now being uh, criticised because an Italian security researcher, Roberto Pagliari, has decided to, if you like, publicise the, the, this fact. He's trying to, he, what he's trying to do is make more people aware of this and in the hope that, you know, Samsung will deliver something soon. He's obviously not giving out any of the technical details because he doesn't want people to to exploit them. That's not his that's not his aim in life. His aim is to get Samsung to listen. But here's what he's said that uh you know the misuse of the uh, these vulnerabilities if someone wants to exploit these vulnerabilities, here's what they could achieve. And there are three things. Number one, a silent installation of a highly privileged application with no user interaction. Yep, that's that's a fair that's a big deal, isn't it? Number two, SMS sending and changing of various phone settings without the app requiring the permission to do so. That's not a good thing. And number three, an app performing almost any action on the victim's phone. That's a big deal. That's a really big deal. And he says that all these issues were caused by Samsung specific software or customizations. So this is not, uh, you know, um, Android per se. I mean, it, it is Android, but it's not Android per se from which these vulnerabilities are stemming. This is from Samsung-specific software or customizations. Roberto says there's no excuse for Samsung to take so long to patch these vulnerabilities, and he says that they're actually easily fixed. And you know what? I, this is, I, you know, it'd be good if Brett was on the show here for some balance, but, you know, and this is kind of my little soapbox about, you know, uh, about the Android platform. This is a perfect example of how Android is, in my opinion, too fragmented. It's definitely, well, it's fragmented. There's no argument about that. But it's, in my opinion, it's too fragmented to be worth considering. Seriously, you know, this is a perfect example of that. And, uh, you know, you often get into uh, debate, uh, OS debates and OS wars, you know, uh, these days it tends to be not so much about Mac versus Windows, but more so in the in the uh, mobile space. So we're talking iOS versus Android versus Windows Phone and or Windows RT. But, you know, if I was to exclude Apple, I would go for a Windows-based device over Android any day. Because one thing I like about the Windows platform is that like iOS it's reasonably well controlled and it's you know it hasn't become fragmented by the by the sort of various flavors and customizations of the the OS in any event a guy a UK blogger in fact by the name of Terence Eden has demonstrated another lock screen bypass flaw that he found on Samsung Android devices so, in other words, if you've got access to a, a physical access to a Samsung Android phone, you can get into the phone and get access to any application without having to punch in the password. Uh, and actually, some I think someone's uh, developed a uh, their own patch for that. So come on, Samsung! I mean, you know, if others are writing patches for your flaws, this is not a good look. The last time this happened, I think was it Adobe or I think it, I think it might have been someone was writing flaws for sorry uh, fixes for Adobe flaws faster than Adobe could get them out. How embarrassing and that is that? It's not a good look. 
All right, that's that one. And the last story this week is, and you may have heard about this, I know a lot of people who pirate music will be going around uh, quoting this story, and that is that music sales are apparently not affected by web piracy, according to a study published by the European Commission Joint Research Centre. There you go. So the Institute for Prospective Technological Studies examined the online habits of 16,000 Europeans. And they, they in fact found that freely streamed music provided a small boost to sales figures. But of course, the, uh, on the flip side, the International Federation for the Phonographic Industry said that the research was flawed and misleading. You know, one of the uh, bases for the uh, for the research that's come out is that they found that the vast majority of music that is consumed illegally would not have been purchased if the ability to obtain it illegally wasn't there. This is not to legitimise music piracy, but it is to say, you know, to 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 counter the claims that piracy is costing X amount of dollars. If instead it was the case that most of the music that is pirated would have been purchased given the option, then, yeah, okay, that's, there's obviously a real cost there. But, you know, the vast majority, you know, they wouldn't buy anyway. As I say, it doesn't legitimize pirate. This is not to legitimize piracy at all. It's still getting something for free where, where they shouldn't, even if they weren't going to buy it. I mean, it's, to, look, it, how different is it really to sneaking into the movie theater without paying even if you weren't going to pay to see the movie, if you hadn't have snuck in like that, it doesn't legitimise sneaking into the cinema. Anyway, there you go. There you have it. I know that a lot of people, I know I know some, you know, I have, we all do, we've, we've all got friends who pirate music. And uh, a few of those have come to me and said, oh, have you seen the story, Ed, uh, you know, about the uh, music sales not being affected by piracy? And I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah, that may be so. You know, it's a, as I say, it's a valid thing to to go against the the claims of the recording industry that say it is hurting them in real dollar figures because it, it's it's not at least not to uh, to the extent they make out. Uh, but at the same time, yeah, it doesn't make it right. Anyway, that is it. I think for episode two hundred and six. Hope you enjoyed it, and uh, we'll do it all again next week. In the meantime, take care. If you'd like to comment on any of our stories, you can do so at our website, boysoftech.com. If you've got a story to submit, you can also do that there. And don't forget to uh, to like us or tweet about us. In the meantime, that's it. Thank you very much. See you again next week, everyone. Goodbye. Goodbye.